I better stop there. I'm going to get into my sermon before it's time. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for your word that you've given unto us. And we want to thank you, Lord, for your word, for it truly is a light unto our path. It is your word, Lord, as we hide it in our hearts that keep us from sin. It is your word, Lord, that orders our steps. It is your word, O God, that gives us sight and wisdom. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'll minister to us this morning. That we might see the richness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That we not just be religious people. But we would be a people who have a heart for Jesus and are willing to follow him. To give all for him. For we're not worthy of this salvation. We're not worthy of all the inheritance and the blessings that we receive from him. We're not worthy to be called the children of the Most High God. But Lord, may you use us. May you continue to love us because you've chosen to love us. Not because we're worthy of your love, but because, Lord, you have chosen to love each and every one of us. And there's nothing, oh God, that can separate us from your love. And Lord, we thank you. Now, may you minister to us. May you take blinders off our eyes. May we see truth. And Lord, we'll give you praise In Jesus' name, amen. Salvation in the church. Jesus set salvation before he set his church because his church was put for those who are saved as a learning institution and a place for which his people can come together to be able to brainstorm with him on how they are to reach out to others. And that's amazing. That God would do that. That he would call us together. And the church is simply, for many of you, is the called out ones. We're called out to make a difference. We're called out to be used of him. We're called out to glorify him. We're called out for his purpose. When a person is saved, and I want to stop right there, because a lot of people can be saved And know nothing about the Lord. They're saved, but they don't grow. That's why Jesus tells us in Peter to grow in the grace and knowledge. And a lot of people don't grow. They just got fire insurance. They just got something to keep them out of hell. But they live through all the miseries of this life. They're saved. But they don't know how to make wise decisions. They don't know how to wait upon the Lord. They don't know how to allow God to order their steps. They're saved, but they live in misery. Because they've never been taught how to live a Christian life. And that's important. That one would be taught how to live this Christian life. And they become part of a church. And what happens when we begin to leave this at home and we don't bring it with us, whether it be on computer or whether we have one, I prefer this, but that's my preference because I'm a little older. See, 
while Roscoe trying to find something, I'm already there. <laughs> but, but the whole process is God has a book for his people. God has a book for his people to learn from. We don't come into church and make up our own rules, our own regulations in a sense. We have the basis of what God wants from his church in his word. And what we need to understand is this here. When we become part of the church, our whole life changes. Watch the difference. People who start coming to church and are serious about church and they fall in love with church, guess what? Their friends sometimes won't follow them to church. And then they wind up getting new friends. <laughs> they build new relationships. And it's what Scripture says. That, yeah, you're beginning to recognize you're a new person. Old things begin to what? Pass away and behold what? All things are becoming new to you. You're learning differently. You're seeing differently. You're speaking differently. You're acting differently. And that old group, you somewhat shed them little by little by little. And there's a reason for that. Because, see... God wants you to be a different person that they can see that you are different. If you're in church and you act like the world, you dress like the world, you talk like the world, nothing's really changed. Nothing's really changed. All relationships changes because of the Word of God and the relationship you start having with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. When you start having that relationship and you start hearing from God, you're in his word and God is speaking to you. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to you as you're going through life and you're walking through work. And the Spirit of God speaks to you and bring back the memory, even the scriptures and so forth to you. It begins to change you. Why? He's opening your eyes. So you don't become as angry as quick. You don't lose it as quick. Why? You're seeing it differently. And it's because of the relationship that you're in with God that you begin to see life differently you see people differently you see situations differently because God now becomes the lens in which you are looking at things and everything begins to change go to Deuteronomy 6 5 because we're going to try to as we walk through this because Jesus makes some statements but we need to understand why those statements in a sense and then we're going to end up in Timothy understanding what does God really want us to learn? And why does he want us to learn it? In Deuteronomy 6, 5, he, he tells us, truly learn to love God. How many of you understand it's a learning process? You know, it's a learning process. A lot of young couples, when we go through counseling, I even share with them, you don't love each other. You're infatuated with each other. You're caught up with each other. You know when you really love somebody? When you know how much pain and hurt you'll take from them. That's when you know you really love somebody. Hey, the reason I know Jesus' love for me, he said he demonstrated it where at? On the cross. 
He demonstrated his love. He was hurting not because of his own sin. He was suffering not because of his own sin, but who? Mine. Elaine suffers for me, and I suffer for her. We suffer for one another. Why? We're not perfect people, and we make mistakes. We're not perfect people, so sometimes we say the wrong things. We're not perfect people, and sometimes we do the wrong thing. But see, the thing about Jesus, as we grow together, guess what? He's correcting both of us. It's not me correcting her or her correcting me. It's the Lord correcting us that we might become the one that he intended us to be. So in Deuteronomy, in uh, chapter 6, look at verse 5. Look at what he says. He says, boy, let me love the Lord your God with all your what? Yeah, you know that's a learning process. That just doesn't automatically happen. You have to learn to love the Lord. And one of the ways in which you learn to love the Lord is by the way in which you also trust the Lord. Because the more you trust the Lord, you'll discover the more that you love the Lord. The more you trust the person that you're with and you feel secure, the more you love them. The whole process is learning to love God because you are secure in his hands. You are secure in his promises. And he's faithful unto you. And that's a learning process of learning his faithfulness. A lot of people never learn God's faithfulness because they never stop, they never step out on God's word to believe him, to trust him. So they never really develop a trust factor. They never really understand how faithful God is because they never step out on his word to believe him. And when you step out, that's your learning curve. When you step out, that's when you're going to experience God really working in your life. When you step out there and you're having to trust him, you begin to understand that, yes, God is on my side. And if God before me, who can be against me? If God opens the door, who can close that door? If God is working in my life. I'm going to be successful. And therefore, I begin to lean more and more upon God. Watch this natural thing that takes place. The more you begin to trust a person, the more you lean on that person. The more you trust an individual, the more you lean on them. For knowledge, wisdom, direction, advice. Why? You feel secure in them. And you trust them. And you find yourself doing something, falling in love with them in a different way, because there's different meanings for love. But you fall in love with them because you are trusting them. You trust them. And that's the same thing with the Lord. He says, boy, love him. But you got to learn to love him. You got to teach yourself to love him. And you got to sometimes command yourself, Lord, I love you more than this. 
And we're going to look at that with Peter because he says to Peter, love me more than these. And what he does, he makes a choice. There has to be a choice that takes place. Go over to Leviticus 19.18. Leviticus 19.18. Because it is that process that has to take place. And if you're not in that process, you're not really, in a sense, teaching yourself how to love the Lord. And you need to be able to do that. Teach yourself. 19 and verse 18, he said, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people. But love your what? Love your neighbor as yourself. You got to value yourself. You got to love yourself before you can extend love out. God wants you to love yourself. Why? Now, I've said this before, but I want to reiterate it. We here, personally, we're not the church. Collectively, we are the church. Personally, I am the temple of God. God lives in me. I am his temple. He dwells in me. But individually, I am not the church. Collectively, we are the church. We make up the church. If I am his temple... If you ever travel abroad, if you ever go anywhere, you'll find one place that is always clean and is in better shape or looks beautiful, better than anything else. That's the temples. Go to a Buddhist temple. Go to any shrine in India or temple in India. They're clean. And you always got people in there cleaning them. In many of the temples in India, you cannot wear your shoes because you bring the dirt from the world into the temple. So you have to take your shoes and socks off. And you have to be barefooted to go in. We are the temple. How clean do we keep this temple? How clean do you keep your temple? And see, that's a learning process. That you are responsible for your temple and keeping it clean and when you do that you can really love God and love your neighbor and then in Luke let's run over to Luke I want to run it all together for just a moment and tie it together in Matthew but go over to Luke chapter 6 and 31 it's not the basis of how you're being treated oftentimes we come to I'm going to treat people as they treat me that's not what he's saying he commanded us to love our neighbor don't matter what ethnic group it might be no matter what color they may be no matter what language they may speak the command is for me to love them so in verse 31 he simply says let me focus these eyes down here now gotta find it Oh, I'm in Matthew. That's why I can't find it. Get over to Luke. In Luke chapter 6, he tells me to be able to love this person as what? 
I would want them to love me. Do unto them as I would want them to do unto me. Now, the, the question is for me is how I'm going to respond to this person's behavior, how I'm going to respond to how this person is going to act. And, and, and the whole process is that we need to do it. And I may have the wrong scripture down there, but the whole process. What? Yeah. So forgive me on that one, but let me go ahead and talk about it. Don't do unto people as people do unto you. You do as you would want them to what? Yes. They could be doing wrong. You really don't want that, but you don't react because you still want to act towards them the way you would wish or desire them to act towards you. You want to do good unto them. You want to minister unto them. You want to bless them. Even though they may not be blessing you, you want to bless them. Now, put it all together. Go over into Matthew 22. Because, see, all of this hinges on this whole Bible. And the process is that if we don't understand that out of these two laws comes the complete Word of God or the complete Bible on how God wants us to respond. So in verse 37, he simply said, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your what? Right back to Deuteronomy. And with all your soul and with all your mind. Now, look what he does. Soul, the spiritual, but then with all your what? Your mind. You got to do something with this mind. Because it's a learning process to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a learning process. That's why we have so many failures among Christians because we don't really study God's word. We don't really get into God's word. We really can't say what God wants us to do and how we are to live. And then he goes on, he says, in verse 18, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as what? Yeah. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and the prophets, everything that's written in this book addresses those two laws. How I see God and worship God, how I see man and how I treat man as my neighbor. Everything in this book is about those two principles. Now, understanding that the church circumferences these two principles, how to love God, how to love man. Remember our statement that we read? It circumferences those two things, to worship God and to what? Minister to who? Man, okay. those two principles is what basically is made up. And you know what? A lot of the Bible then speaks about how we behave towards God and how we behave towards one another. 
Now, Jesus comes to reveal how these two principles work in real life. The reason a lot of people don't read the Bible, they don't think it's practical, number one. Number two, they think it's an outdated book, something that won't work in this time. Number three, if they read it and understand it, then they become responsible for living it out. So we excuse ourselves by not knowing it, and if I don't know it, then I'm not responsible for it. And that's the worst mistake because you're still responsible because God has given it to us. Now it's up to you to open it. It's up to you to study it. It's up to you to want to know what's in it. And you have to begin to adjust your life, to manage your life, to live your life according to the knowledge that the Holy Spirit then begins to reveal to you. And a lot of people don't want knowledge. That's why a lot of times in church we have a good time. See? I can laugh my way through life, so I think. The whole process is this. God wants you walking upright, that as you walk, you are glorifying him. You are glorifying him. That people can read your life. That that's a godly woman. That's a godly man. That's a man who loves God. That's a woman who loves the Lord. That people can see your life. He says, boy, you don't take a light and what? Put a bushel over it. No, you want it to glow. You want it to shine. You want your life to shine. And shine for Jesus. And you need to understand that Jesus says, boy, I'm going to build my church. We're going to build Pastor Brown's church. We're going to build some pastor's church. And let me put a footnote in here now. One of the reasons that church is so messed up today is because we put our eyes too much on the pastor. And a lot of churches take pride, and don't get me wrong on what I'm going to say. That's my pastor. Look how he's dressed. And a pastor should dress in a professional light. He should be an example. Charles Stanley was talking about that some this morning and so forth. We should be the example in everything. In giving God our very best. We don't hold nothing back. We give him our very best right up front. We want to show off for him. Hey, now, there's a difference between showing off for God and showing off yourself. Hey. The church is not responsible for buying the pastor Alexis. The church is not responsible for buying the pastor a Lincoln. The church is responsible to pay him for his labor, just like you go to work every day and you want to get paid for your labor. That does not mean you keep a pastor poor and without. That means, yes, you pay him, but you do not make him an idol. 
You understand what I'm saying? He's not an idol. And a lot of men in our society don't come to church because they think the pastor is nothing but like a pimp and pimping a lot of women in the church. He's just deceiving a lot of women. The pastor and the congregation have to understand their roles. The pastor needs to understand his role and his limitation. The congregation needs to understand their role and their limitations. And somehow we lost that. And we got to get back to it. That we can work as a team together in achieving what God wants us to achieve. It's not you setting me up that I can live in a grand home or I can live very good and wealthy. No, God takes care of me. And you help God do that. Now, Jesus said, I would build my church in Matthew 16, 18. He makes that very clear. The church was not going to rest on Peter. It was going to rest on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, go to Matthew 5, 17. Matthew 5, 17. Because there has to be a reason for which he's going to say this. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the laws or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. To fulfill them. Now, Peter couldn't have done that. None of his disciples could have done that. To fulfill the requirements of the law. By going to the cross and dying on our behalf, he took away all the sacrificial things in the Old Testament. So there's no more sacrifices I have to uh, deal with, per se. But the part that you and I still have to deal with, and he has to demonstrate to us, because everything about the flesh fights against it. And that is the moral righteousness of God. The moral righteousness of God is what we wind up fighting against, and we don't like, because... Every one of God's moral laws go against our thinking and what the flesh wants to do. A very simple law, thy shall not lie. And what do we all do? (laughs) That's a moral law given by a holy, righteous, moral God. See, the whole process is that moral law that Christ is going to also fulfill, but then he's going to teach us how to live it out. So we're living out God's moral law. The sad part about the church, we have become much like the world. That's why our divorce rate is so high. That's why we have too many children in detention homes that come out of church life. That's why we have too many Children who will not follow in the Christian world is not reproducing itself even with its own families that your children are following what you believe. 
we're not reproducing that because somewhere along the way we took this and we put it over here and we begin to walk in our own knowledge, in our own understanding. And he said, I've come to fulfill this law. I come to do what man, in a sense, cannot do. I come to make right and show you and empower you that it can be done. And the question for you and I is this, do we really believe we can do it? I hear a lot of people, a lot of Christians say, you know, uh, I can't live all that. I can't do that. That's why he said he has given you what? The Holy Spirit who will empower you to do. That empowers you to live that life. That empowers you to be able to do what God didn't want you to do. There's a purpose in that. And he goes on and he simply says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And only Christ could do that. So the church is simply built on Jesus Christ. He teaches us how to serve and love him and how to serve and love each other. And that's difficult. Some people are very hard to love. But God didn't ask you to love them. He commanded you to love them. He commands us to love them. Now, in the church, Jesus is the chief shepherd also. So he takes that title and he takes that position. Now, what, the, what is a shepherd? He is someone who watches over the sheep. He's someone who leads his sheep. He's someone who takes care of his sheep. He is the chief shepherd. Pastors are only what you would call, in a sense, under-shepherds. Under-shepherds. We're not taking care of something that belonged to us. We're taking care of something that belonged to somebody else, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're just under-shepherds. Because, see, Jesus knows all of his sheep, even those who are not in this congregation. Jesus knows his sheep in Africa, over in Korea, over in China. He knows his sheep. He knows them. Everybody else is just under-shepherd. And understand something. You're under-shepherding somebody. If you're discipling somebody, if you're talking to someone about Jesus, you're an under-shepherd. You're shepherding somebody. And in Acts 20, Paul tells them to take care as shepherds, to take care of the flock that has been given unto them through the Holy Spirit, through God that you're responsible for that flock and the well-being of that flock. But always remember that Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. And then he says he is the head of the church. Every organization, every group has to have a head. Someone who leads, not only just uh, take care of, but leads us. And that whole process is that You're being led then because why? He's the head. And it's made very clear that Jesus Christ then is made the head of the church. 
The pastor is not the head of the church. Some board is not the head of the church. The reason a lot of people fall out with a pastor is because they don't know the word of God to take him back to the word of God and even remind him what the word says. You don't check a pastor by just saying, you wrong. This isn't right. We don't do it this way. No, what does the word of God say? Remember, a pastor is just part of the body of Christ. He's placed in a position by the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. He provides what his sheep needs. And that's an under-shepherd. That's all. And a pastor should not take advantage of the church. A pastor is not appointed to a church to fleece the church, to rob the church, to just get from the church. And a pastor, one of the worst things in a pastor today is that somebody else can do the dirty work and he can't do it. No such thing. No such thing. If your hands can get dirty, my hands can get dirty. If you can sweat, I can sweat. And somehow we separated this thing that I'm supposed to just be doing this and you're supposed to be taking care of all this. No. We're in this what? Together. Not a separation thing, but a together thing. We're doing it together. And we work at it together. We sweat at it together. We labor at it together. And we do it. Just like I do counseling in my office, you may do counseling in your kitchen. You may be doing counseling while you're driving your friend to work. You may be doing counseling in a different way, but you're still what? Counseling. You're still ministering to a person. And we forget that Jesus is the head. Jesus is responsible to feed and care for my spiritual being. And that's what he talks about in Ephesians 5.29, that he is responsible for his sheep, for his church, and the spiritual care of his church. And I want you to take a look at what he does then. In, in caring for me, he provides the people in my life that is needed to feed me, to take care of me. In my first grade class, if Mrs. Hope didn't bring graham, graham crackers, and that's why I really uh, fell in love with graham crackers and milk, because we would put the graham crackers in a, in a cup, pour some milk, and that would be breakfast for me sometime when we didn't have. And she would provide breakfast for kids in graham crackers and milk. Mr. Beeler, who was the head custodian, he asked one day, he said, young man, would you like to have a job? And at that time, you had to fill the hoppers with coal because everything was coal burning. And I would get to school at 6 in the morning, fill those hoppers up. There would be about three or four of us because you had a bank of furnaces on both sides that those things had to feed. And we would just shovel coal, throw it in the hopper. And then in... Junior high school, I changed schools. My dad moved up here. And at that time, boy, I'm in a different world. Okay. 
I go to Simon Perkins. Out of 1,100 kids, there's less than 20 black kids in the school. That ain't my school. I was lost in that school. They didn't dress like I dressed. And them kids came to school with a school allowance of $5, $10. And I'm going through school. Hey, man, no me a nickel for lunch. No me a dime for lunch. Because at that time, lunch was only like 35 cents. Because my dad didn't believe in giving out allowances. He had nine kids at home. And if he gave each child $3, he'd be broke when you only bring home a check around $65 a week. Couldn't do that. But those kids' parents could do that. Hey? And they had, that's the first time I ever heard when I was down at West Union High, I never heard about an allowance. Hey? And Mr. Benica, who was the principal, I was leaving school. I was walking away from Simon. I'm going back to West Junior High School, so a neighborhood I knew, some folks that I knew. And, and I'm walking up Hawkins Street. And Mr. Bennett had pulled up in his car. And he said, young man, where are you going? I said, I'm going back to my school. And he said, would you get in the car and let's talk? And got in the car. And Mr. Bennett had made this little agreement with me. He said, if you have a problem with this school, you come to my office. And we'll talk about it. He understood that I did not understand the new world that I had been put into. (laughs) And he took time with me so that whenever I had problems and I didn't understand the rules or whatever, I could go talk to Mr. Vanneke. And the secretary, when she saw me in, she would tell me, wait a moment, let me check and see, you know. But he would always make time for me. And then when I went to high school, a mailman asked me, he said, young man, you'd like to help me with my work? And I would do about six sets of steps. And he would pay me because he was a mailman working, and I'm playing basketball, running track and everything, but he helped me. and, And then finally, boy, in the 12th grade, the head custodian said, there's a five-hour job open at Mason School. Gus, would you be interested if I put a good word in for you? And got the job as a five-hour man, working part-time. I'm just in 12th grade, working for the school board. The whole process, when you and God has a plan for your life, God opens doors. God begins to do things. God put people there. And God does it. Why? He's responsible for you. He takes care of you. So go to John 21. John 21. Go to verses 15 and 17. And and, and look what he says to Peter here. And Peter got a little bit upset first, but I'm going to share something with you. God opens the door and God takes care of his sheep. In 21, he begins to say, When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, If I wanted him to remain alive till I return, 
What is that to you? Because of this, the rumor spread among them, brothers, that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that. If I wanted him to remain alive till I return, why? What is that to you? Now, I'm in the wrong verse. Good thing I'm catching it. Go to 15 to 17. Yeah, I got to get these my eyes straight. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Look at what he's going back to. The issue of what? Loving God. Remember what we started off with in Deuteronomy? To love God what? With all your heart. Do you love me? And then he goes, Jesus said, feed my what? But, but look what he's checking first. If you really understand that the person loves you, they'll take care of the other. I was out visiting a family yesterday. And this man married this young lady when she had a son that was three and the other one was five. Now those boys are up here in high school. But one of the things he told her, he says, if we have children, that would be great. And if we don't, your children will be my children. Did you hear what I just said? Your children will be what? My children. If I never have a child, he doesn't have a child of his own. This is a young man that didn't do nothing but work. Now, remember when they got ready to buy their house, he was going to pay $135,000 cash. Because he was still at home with his mom in his young 30s. He didn't go nightclubbing. He didn't waste money. And he was going to pay 135 I said, man, don't, don't pay cash. Just pay it down to where you have comfortable with your living. Let your money keep growing. Okay. And every time I see him sometime, he'll thank me for that advice. You know, because you're still working. You're paying your home off, and there's no strain because you're able to pay it down to where it's comfortable for you. But the amazing part is his life. He loves his wife. And when I saw her mother, I told her mother, I said, you know something? You all thank God that your daughter found a man after her divorce that loves her for who she is. Period. Period. And, and, and that becomes the richness of this. Love me with all your heart. And, and if you really love me, feed my sheep. The evidence of you loving me, the evidence of you really caring about me is how you treat my sheep. That's what Jesus is saying. He, and, and he says it again, Peter. Uh, he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. Do you love me? 
Now, listen to how Peter answers this time. Because it's different than the other times. But it answered. Because, see, sometime with us, we believe we can deceive God. We can believe that if this here says the right thing, but this here has the wrong motive, that somehow he'll believe what this says rather than what this is saying. And he says, boy, he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And what Peter is saying there is simply this here. Lord, you really know my heart. And you know if I'm speaking truth to you. You really know if I'm speaking the truth to you. Because, see, Lord, you know all things. You know them. You know them. You know all things. And Peter, catch this. This is what love does. Love commands you to take responsibility of something that does not belong to who? You. When I married Elaine, I took on a responsibility that was her father's to care for her. I had nothing to do with bringing Elaine into this world. But by marrying her, I took on a responsibility. Sometimes men don't like to hear what I say during the marriage ceremony. If your wife throw away all her money, it's okay. Because nowhere in Scripture does God call marriage a 50-50 issue. That's man's thing. Nowhere in Scripture does God commands the woman to love the man. Nowhere. Because if that man loves that woman as Christ loveth the church, the love becomes reciprocal. And it's the man who takes on the responsibility when he asks, will you marry me? See, he didn't ask, well, let's do this thing 50-50. Let's, let's bring the bills home and, and uh, you pay half of this one and uh, we'll pay half of this. No. If she works and take all her money and throw it away, you are still 100% responsible for her. I don't see no men clapping. And this is what Peter's taking on. Peter is taking on a responsibility because he loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And guess what? He don't own not one of the sheep. <laughs> he hasn't died for not one of the sheep. <laughs> he hasn't shed his blood for one of the sheep. But he takes on the responsibility Feed and care for the sheep. Now, just put it in order, and we'll close here and pick up uh, in, a, in, in two weeks. Because he loved the Lord Jesus, 
he takes on that responsibility that his Savior gives to him. Now watch this, because oftentimes we miss this. Remember when I said Jesus is the chief shepherd? Jesus is the head of the church? Who appoints Peter to do this? The chief shepherd, the head of the church, and he's still doing that today. Jesus Christ is still the head of his church. The thing with the congregation, they got to figure out if that's a wolf in sheep's clothing. (laughs) They got to figure out if that individual is selfish or if that individual is really here to take care of them, not just who. Yeah. Taking care of a baby isn't easy, is it? You got a diaper on for a while. Okay. Good thing they got a pamper today, but see, if Lane was having babies today, we wouldn't be buying no pampers. Okay. They cost too much. Okay. Okay. And see, a lot of these young girls, they don't know what it is when the baby unload to take that thing to the toilet and wash it out. Quit shaking your head about Donna. <laughs> You would take that diaper with all that mess from life and take it to the toilet and you had to put your hands down in there and wash it out before you go <laughs> But see, when you love somebody, you can do that without a second thought. When you love somebody, you can get up in the middle of the night when they're sick to see about them. When you love somebody, you make the sacrifice that is necessary. Now, understand also what's taking place here. It's not so much that Peter loved the sheep, but he's in love with who? Yes. And when the pastor is in love with Jesus, you see it on how he takes care of the sheep. When a mom and dad loves their children, you see it in how they take care of their children. When mom and dad really loves their children and know what it's going to take for them to exceed in life, the father's willing to go into his pocket and help pay for college. And not these old words, well, I made it, they'll make it. But when the real love is there, you'll find the real sacrifice of life there. And that's what Jesus was asking Peter. Feed my sheep. And one of the questions he asked Peter is this. Remember they were eating? Remember they were reclining? Do you love me more than these? Now now just think with me for a moment. What is Jesus referring to? The fineries of life. All the food laid out in front. All the easiness of life. The comforts of life. 
Do you love my sheep more than your own comfort? Do you love my sheep more than all the fineries of life? Do you love my sheep? When you love God's sheep, you make a great sacrifice of yourself on their behalf because of the love you have for him demonstrates the love you have for those that he has put under your care. That's the church. There's not so much congregation taking care of pastor, but pastor taking care of sheep, but we're also taking care of each other. I don't worry about my brother-in-law was in my office, and I, and I was sharing this with him. I'm not worried about my sister. She has dementia. And Fred, I know you have congested heart failure. You're taking your medicine. God's giving you some extra days. But I'll never worry about my sister because those two boys who we used to thought she was just outright brutal with. Those two boys will make sure she has everything she needs. They'll take care of their mom. How many parents can say that today? I can really trust my life into the hands of my children. And you know how many parents today is fearful of falling into the hands of their children? But it is a blessing that when you have raised your children and they know that they have been loved and cared for, that they're willing to do that for you. As my aunt used to say, once an adult, twice a child. When you revert back into your childhood, that they'll take care of you. Amen? Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, that, Lord, as we dive more and more into this thing called church, that, Lord, we will look at congregation, we will look at pastor, we'll look at shepherds, we will look at lay people, we will look at terminology sometime, Lord, that throws us off. What we need to remember is that we are the church of the living God. And we need to act and live that life out. We don't need to really adapt a lot of norms per se of the current traditions. But Lord, we understand that sometimes we can't fight against tradition. And therefore, Lord, we ask that you will guide us into those ways of life that really allows us, oh God, to imitate what you so desire of the church. We're saved. And we're being conditioned to function in your church that we might function in a dying world. And Lord, help us to see that, Lord, we have a book which we'll talk about next time. 
we have a book that teaches us how to function in this world and to be pleasing to you in the church. Lord, may you minister to us as your people. May you bless us. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.